Our folks back uh, joined today with uh, Mr. Michael Ippolito back by a popular request after a uh, nice episode last week with uh, Anatoly from Solana. So Mike, obviously good to have you with us. And uh, the star of the show today is Cooper Turley, formerly known as uh, Koopa Troopa, which is uh, it's a much better name than uh, Cooper Turley. So what, what, what's the okay, name from too. here, Koopa? The name is from my old DJ alias. In college, I was spinning on the decks, releasing feature-based mixes, some house mixes here and there. Um, you know, I really just rocked and rolled with it, and that's where we're at today. Nice. I like it. I like it's it. It's like a, a strong community of uh, ex-DJs in crypto. I feel like uh, good personnel uh, overall. It's like a, it's like a definitely a badge of honor, for sure. Yeah. Go <laughs> so, check out my audience, guys. Yeah. Got all the mixes up there. I think you'll like them. There you go. Plug. One minute in, we're plugging. <laughs> All right, Kuba, I think, um, I mean, we have so much to talk about. So I want to just actually dive right in. I think, um, it'd be helpful to start kind of high level. The thing I want to ask you to start is just like, what is your framework and like mental model right now for viewing this web two to web three transition that's taking place? It's a great question. My mental framework is how much do you understand this space and how convicted are you in it that this is the future? So I see a lot of projects that are putzing around the edges saying, you know, Web3 is cool. We obviously got to do something here. But the reason that I spend time on projects is that I see that you are very convicted that this is where you need to allocate all of your time, energy and value. And if you're willing to commit to the fact that this is something you want to be the focal point of your community or brand and not just something around the edges, I think that that mental model allows me to feel good about the time that I'm allocating towards projects. When you think about like how you view specifically what's happening right now and like where you're spending a lot of your time is obviously on the creator economy, kind of the intersection of the creator economy and DAOs. So when you are kind of thinking about what, like what is the key theme to that, what comes to mind for you? I'd say building intentional community, you know, doing things like starting a community treasury, poking around with Web3, doing NFT sales, but directing all of that value into a community owned vehicle. I think there's one school of thought, which is like, hey, I'm going to go do a drop on Nifty Gateway and sell a couple cool NFTs here and there. There's another one where it's a very slow and gradual rollout where you're rounding up your top 100 super fans. You're talking about starting a community treasury. You're walking through these more complicated hoops to try and do cool things. And I think that the intention behind a lot of these creator projects really informs how valuable it's going to be. You know, right now, the, the name of the game for any creator is let's go and find five friends and start a PFP project do a drop next week and raise $2 million. But I really try and walk people back and say, hey, you don't need to have a large amount of capital for this to be successful. What is a more condensed scope of this look like? We can get something out the door in the next month that allows you to poke around with people who are going to be able to learn and try and do fun experiments that we can grow together. I, I got a question for you, which is, um, you know, back in, uh, I'm not sure like how long you've been uh, deeply involved in this space, but uh, you can actually go back and find a lot of really good content from like 2017, 2018, people like saying these ideas and kind of right now they're all starting to come true. Like DeFi is a great example of that. Uh, but I will credit uh, one interview uh, like Kyle Samani and Tushar gave from Multicoin uh, a couple of years ago, and they kind of described what they were excited about in crypto is this evolution uh, in governance, right? From kind of like joint stock and the LLC uh, to this like whole new coordination mechanism, which was crypto. And I feel like DAOs are kind of the best way that that's actually uh, manifesting in itself today. So when you look at a DAO and maybe you compare it to something like a company or even a nation state or just how people organize themselves in general, why is this like a novel structure of organization? And what are some of the advantages of organizing as a DAO versus, say, a company or even just like a book club or something like that? Yeah, I think the ownership model is very powerful here. So if I'm a member of a DAO, I feel like I have real stake in what's happening. You know, it's not to say that you can't have stake in things in the past, but your stake in these communities feels very intentional. 
know, when it comes to governance, it's not only about being able to vote on snapshot. It's about having the ability to influence those conversations before they go to a proposal. It's about the opportunity to make a proposal if you have a good idea. And it's about the opportunity to get paid to work on what you love. I think that in traditional structures, we buy exposures to things that already exist. I think with the new DAO model, you are creating new structures and able to have ownership in the way that they come to life. And so I love this mental model of Web 2, um, people build products to try and find community. Web 3, community builds product together. And when you're in that conversation of building community with your peers, I think they are able to have some really amazing outputs. And I think DAOs are really the main way that we've seen to formalize those type of structures and organizations so that as we go and build cool shit in this world, there are shared assets that we can all collect together that allow us to capture that upside. Yeah. I um I know analogies are imperfect, but my uh, I have the brain of a five year old, so it's always really helpful to me. One one of like the examples that I've heard that resonates super well is almost like if you think about a company like Uber, right? Uh, you know, they also kind of weirdly connect people from all these different walks, you know, drivers from all over the U.S., right? For example, um, but a lot of like the real value in that network has accrued to a centralized model. And almost one of the ways that I think about DAOs is if like if Uber had given out shares in Uber to people who drove the cars, dependent on how much they drove. You know what I mean? Because that's actually giving some ownership back to users in the network. Is that an appropriate analogy to use? Because I, I almost do see DAOs as the next evolution of some of these Web2 kind of platform companies. But one of the big differences is A, this operates on a global scale. Everything about DAOs is designed to operate globally, if need be. And two, it's all about ownership and community first. And that's definitely like the opposite of Web2, I would say. What do you think about those two analogies? I think those analogies are perfect. There was a thesis called The Ownership Economy by Jesse Walden put out about a year and a half ago to two years at this point that really just like crystallized mm. this vision perfectly for me. So if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. It's a really, really powerful piece. And I think that analogy of Uber is the perfect one to draw. I think that as you get deeper into the DAO world, you realize you should have ownership in the things that you're contributing meaningful value to. And I think as you start to look at the wider world, you start to get into this mental lens where you're like, if I'm an Uber driver, why am I not earning equity for the value I create? Like, it seems to be so obvious at that point that I think once you have that locked in, your frame of reference for how you're spending your time and energy online just shifts immediately. Can we actually touch on something that Jess, so like one thing, I forget if Jesse wrote this in that article that he published or if it, this was something else, but he kind of talks about the three stages of a DAO. It's like the first one is like the product market fit stage, right? Like at this stage, and and I think he broke down something that like a preconceived notion for me, which is that it always has to be decentralized. He says that the product market fit stage, there's no pretense of decentralization. Like you have a small team, three, four, five people all cranking on product decisions. After this, you start to loop in the community and the community starts to build on this early product. And then the stage three is basically like exit decentralization. Like instead of exiting to the public markets, like an IPO, there's the exit to the community. So is this, I think he wrote this maybe two years ago. So is this how you still see this happening? Like these three stages? That's exactly right. Yeah, I would say just to really double down on that, to start a DAO, you don't need to have a thousand members. It's actually better to have a very small set of contributors that are highly active in whatever you're doing, having some way to sort of roll on top of that and formalize that. You know, a great example today being like a mirror crowdfund, for example, where someone can come in and back an early stage DAO idea or a product that someone's built out. And then more broadly, this exit to decentralization. I think that the sooner in the conversation that happens, the more effective it is. I think the biggest difference from a traditional IPO is that these exits to decentralization are typically happening uh, most times at a pre-seed stage, you know, for a lot of DAOs that are being spun up off the ground today. And then for larger crypto projects at a series A stage. And I think what you're seeing is that the earlier these opportunities are happening, the more value there is for those early users to capture the upside. And once you have that exit to decentralization, I think priorities shift on a company level 
you know, those core contributors are reallocating attention into community-led initiatives. And I think going from that early stage of three to five members to ambitiously DAOs that are allocating paid positions to 10 to 20 individuals, I think that's kind of the current maturity scale that we're seeing right now. And I think the big role that I want to play in this space is over the next two to three years, how do we ramp that up from 10 to 20 people being paid out of a DAO to 100 plus, 1,000 plus? And I think that conversation is where there's going to be a lot of incredible opportunities created for people. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, I, I, have, I have another question for you just like early. I, Jason, I, ha, I, I don't know, Jason, I haven't talked to you about this, but like I'd be curious to get your perspective as uh, founders of an early stage startup where we've messed up uh, about a million times on a million different things. Uh, but, you know, Jason and I were, were sitting and listening to this guy who's a part of a pretty prevalent DAO and he was kind of describing like how things actually get done and how different tasks get delegated to different people and what the organizational structure looked like. <laughs> and on the one hand, I, dude, I, I am extremely bullish on DAOs. Went out like a couple months ago and said, I think it's going to be the the most relevant uh, or like the most important trend in crypto probably over the course of the next couple of years. But I was listening to this guy describe his day to day and I was like, this sounds like a startup, but like a little bit shittier. <laughs> like everything that you're describing right now is like kind of what it's like to be at a really early stage startup, but just like more organized and hectic and like just I'd be like ripping my hair out. So like what if you like you're a part of so many different DAOs. Like what are the day to day like what's your experience like of just being a part of this many different DAOs and what are some of the pros and cons you think of being in an early stage company versus a DAO? Yeah, so rule number one, hop in the Discord, say GM in the chat. I mean, that's just the hard hard requirement across all DAOs, you know. That's that's number one mandate. I would say more broadly, yeah. being uh, intentional about communication. So having town halls, doing roundups with team leads, doing roundups with boards, whatever it might be. Um, a lot of what I try and do to stay relevant with the DAOs I'm in is really operationalize who are the key contributors and how do they communicate with the rest of the group. And from there, I mean, I think your analogy is accurate that it is a shittier startup, but I think the reason that people are willing to do that is because the value that they can get out of running that, that unknown playbook is so much higher because there's so many people around the table that are willing to back that idea. And so if I'm running an early stage startup with just five of my friends, the only people who know about that are probably the five of my friends that I'm running it with, which is contrary to running this new model where you're building in public, you're doing things more broadly, you know, that those ups and downs are really captured in the secondary market in a way we haven't really seen before. And so you're almost getting to see in real time, like what an efficient market looks like for a startup that hasn't really done an IPO type model. And I think that that ability to sort of chime in, contribute and earn ownership, regardless of what stage the company is at, you know, the trade-off is that it's really messy. It's often very slow and it's often problematic. But the benefit of that is that literally anyone can participate. And because of that, I think you're seeing valuations having multiples on what they would be in a traditional sense, because people are really excited about this new opportunity in Playbook. So Cooper, take me into the life of like um, a 20, a 22 year old who graduates school in the year 2030, right? They graduate from school right now. They go try to get a job as like a consultant or an investment banker or like product manager at a Google or Facebook or something like that. 2030, they're 22. Do they go work for three different DAOs? And from nine till noon, they're, you know, coding something for, for this DAO over here. And from noon till three, they're doing something for the marketing for this DAO. And from three to six, they're doing something for this DAO. I think so. I think that, um, you know, people are going to recognize that their value is a lot more in their own pocket than it is in someone else's. Like they're going to be a lot more protective about their time and energy. I think companies are going to have to fight harder to get people to go full time on anything. And what this is going to net out is, is kind of a, evolution of the freelancer model where you're setting up your own LLC. You know, I think there will be a lot better practices around how you scale and formalize your own individual time commitments. I think it's important to recognize that this is not for everyone, though. It takes a very special individual to recognize their own worth and to recognize that they can contribute to multiple things at once. 
So I think what we're going to see instead is better formalization of bounty programs where you can come in and work for a project in a very meaningful way without having to be onboarded as a formal employee. We're going to see a lot more ownership models where you can earn things outside of just like a contracted agreement for X dollars. You know, you're actually going to earn ownership in these vehicles that you're working on. And what I imagine will happen is people will go through a test run where they'll start working for maybe three to five dollars on an ad hoc basis. They'll find one to two that they're really passionate about. And I think they will end up going, quote unquote, full time. But the difference there will be that the non-competes of these companies is going to be a lot less formal. And there's actually going to be encouragement to say, hey, you are contributing to our DAO first and foremost, but we actually ask that you go across your wider network and pull back ideas into what we're working on. And my ambition and my hope is that we can kind of maintain this positive sum mentality we have now in crypto, when in reality, crypto is only going to get more competitive. I think there's going to be a lot more walls put up. And so my main hope is that we can find a way to allow people to stay very free flowing in the work that they do, but also have opportunities to ramp up into a full-time position that feels really positive sum to the ecosystem as a whole. Cooper, can we actually get really hands-on for a second? So mm-hmm. Mike and I are the two founders of Blockworks. So let's say Blockworks wanted to launch Blockworks DAO. What happens? What website do we go to? Where do we mint the tokens? Where do we store the tokens? Like, how do we decide on decisions? How do we get the community involved? Like, literally, like, what tools are we using? How are we doing this? Yeah, so I put out a tweet yesterday, four steps to starting a DAO. It's a drastic oversimplification, but I think it's a a good reference point. So if you're in sort of the pre-funding phase, which you guys are not, you know, Mirror is a great tool to sort of just like operationalize what you want that DAO to be. You know, take the crowdfund piece aside, like putting together a pro forma perspective of like, here's why we're starting a DAO and here's what it encompasses. If you want to get involved, do X, Y, and Z. What that means practically is starting to think about what a community treasury is in nature. Um, to get very specific about that, most DAOs are using Gnosis Safe Multisigs. So this is a wallet which is signed on by multiple trusted members of a community. It acts as sort of the home base for all of the value that's being captured by that DAO. And so for someone like Blockworks, I think it would be as simple as saying, we want to start a community treasury. Here's how this community treasury is meant to accrue value. Let's create some form of token or access key that allows you to participate in governance over that treasury. So minting a token on something like Mirror, using something like Coinvise, Um, you know, spinning up your own custom smart contracts, basically just mapping out what does governance over that treasury look like, and then setting up a home base for people to come in and contribute. So most communities today are using a Discord server with token-gated access. If you go out and acquire one of those governance tokens, you then have the ability to sync your Discord role to a wallet, like a MetaMask wallet, and that kind of assigns you ownership rights in this community. And you now have a private pocket to have these conversations. I think that the transition is basically looking at the current cap table, you know, recognizing that the further you are along as a company, the more tape there's going to be and the more requirement there's going to be to formalize that process. You know, thinking through what an airdrop looks like to get those tokens and governance right out to the people who need them. And then setting up a very, very small experiment of saying, hey, we are going into a DAO over time. That's not a zero to one switch. That's going to be a very long process. But the very first goal here is to start a community treasury and start thinking meaningfully about how we accrue value to that treasury and using some form of a new asset that's Web3 tokenized to kind of start that conversation. Um, I think those are the first steps, but I would love to stick on this for a second and kind of hear about follow-up questions you have there to go deeper down this topic. I think my follow-up question there is how are, how are decisions made, I would say, inside of the company, but inside of the DAO then? Like, let's use, so you're speaking at one of our conferences that we're doing with Bankless uh, next mm-hmm. year, Permissionless. Huge event for us, right? The event costs millions of dollars to produce. Really big decision. What's the branding? Who's speaking? What are the themes? How do we market it? What's the ticket cost? There are like thousands of micro decisions that go into that. So how does that type of thing 
get created inside of a DAO? I don't think DAOs are about getting sign off from each individual member in the group. I think it's about transparency and opening up opportunities for those to contribute who are going to do so in a meaningful way. So I think in the same way you would have a team allocated to this project in a company level, you're now doing that in a more decentralized manner with saying, hey, we need people to come organize around this event. We are going to have one key leader who's the project manager of this, but we are going to have an open working group for contributors to come and chime in. I think that there's no requirement to have everyone vote on the ticket price of the event. But I think there is a trust structure in place where you can have three to five people owning that conversation. And the difference here being as they're making decisions on how to evolve this process, trying to roll that up into transparent community proposals to get sign off along the way. You know, I believe that DAOs are more meant for community feedback and vibe checks than they are for day-to-day nuance on every small line item. And so creating an environment where people feel engaged in those conversations, but recognizing that there are key owners of that major topic feels like a way to formalize and really move the ball forward. I'm just drawing an analogy. I'd never really thought about that, Cooper, before, like a almost like a vibe check, like, hey, is this a good idea? Um, like we almost informally have this thing, you know, right? Like the brain trust or whatever. We're like making, when we like have to make a big decision or whatever, it's like, all right, let's ask some people, uh, you know, you know, you want to ask your dad? Uh, all right, I got a buddy who does this. You know what I mean? It's like so informal. And we'll get like four data points and be like, all right, this seems good. Brain trust signed I, off like, on it. Would it. Be, brain trust signed off on the decision. It would be so advantageous to have a whole community. You could just be like, yo, do you guys like this? I'd never thought about that. That is, man, that's really valuable. Um, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. You know, to be totally honest, to be probably more open than I should be on a podcast, you know, we are uh, in the process right now of talking to these DAOs about getting involved in this conference permissionless. And I got to tell you, man, it's a totally novel process trying to sell and communicate into a DAO versus a company. And we just like submit these proposals into these public forums and we're just getting shredded right now. We're just getting shredded. I'm like, we're getting getting shredded. shredded. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, it's like, it's, it's awesome, man. It's such a cool experience. Like, I can actually think it's it's so helpful. It's like just direct feedback. Like we would never do this. We would never do this. I'm like, oh my God, I actually feel like I'm getting direct feedback on the product right now. I don't know. I'm like thinking out loud, but it's very cool. I, that had never made sense to me before. That's Cooper, funny. I think you just watched the evolution of like Mike saying we're never turning into a DAO to Mike saying Blockworks is turning into a DAO tomorrow. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I hope you were taking notes. Uh, I hope you were taking notes on all those infrastructure yeah. things soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to go back and like watch this uh, <laughs> just for those instructions there. Yeah. Um, I think one of the couple of things I'm just I just love about crypto in general, I got to say, it's the authenticity of the whole space. Like I've never been part of a community where just like authenticity gets rewarded overall mm-hmm. and yeah you know i had the same conversation we we're like all right we all right round one uh, was a bit of a strikeout for these things but you know what i feel like they'll appreciate <laughs> if we come back and we've made some big revisions uh maybe huge revisions to the because i feel like people just appreciate that um you know and and i do i do really think that the transparent nature of DAOs in general is it's just gut intuition it just feels like the future it just feels like where we're headed yeah empire is proud to be supported by avalanche There is a layer one war heating up in crypto and Avalanche is at the center of it. Avalanche is one of the fastest smart contract platforms in the industry. I've been looking into the ecosystem recently and I'm honestly amazed by how fast it's growing. Here are three reasons why I'm so intrigued by Avalanche. Number one, Curve and Aave, two of the biggest DeFi protocols are in testing right now for Avalanche integrations. Number two, new projects. These are not just NFT clones. AMM knockoffs, 
and lending protocols. These are new projects, NFT projects, play to earn games, really, really interesting stuff happening in the Avalanche ecosystem. And number three, Binance just re-enabled C-Chain integration. What in the world does this mean? This means that you, the user, can directly withdraw to your MetaMask, which previously was a pretty big user bottleneck. Thank you, Avalanche for sponsoring Empire. We are going to continue to explore Avalanche in future episodes. Hope you enjoy it. I would recommend that you do the same. Empire is proud to be supported by Paraswap. Paraswap is one of the leading DEX aggregators in crypto. Let's say you're booking a flight. You would never go directly to an airline, right? You'd never go directly to United or Delta. You'd obviously go to Google Flights or Expedia or Kayak or Booking.com. That's what Paraswap does for DeFi. Paraswap, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see the platform. Paraswap makes swapping easier, it makes it faster, it makes it cheaper by aggregating more than 80 different DEXs. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, Uniswap, Sushi, Balancer, uh, Bancor into one single interface. You can use Paraswap on ETH, Polygon, as you can see here, BSC. They recently launched Avalanche a few weeks ago, pretty exciting. If you are a trader listening to this, you are losing money by not using Paraswap. And excitingly enough, if you're a company or a platform looking to access the swapping or the yield capabilities of DEXs, you can now use Paraswap's APIs to integrate into your platform to get the full power of the DEX aggregator into your platform. So head on over to paraswap.io. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see how simple it is to use. Just plug in. Let's say I want to swap you know, 0.2 ETH. For USDT, you can see how simple it is. Just plug that in right there and it aggregates over 80 different DEXs. So head on over to Paraswap, P-A-R-A-S-W-A-P dot I-O to use the platform today. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, can, you, can you just give us some insight into like the future of governance here, Cooper? Because right now a lot of it is like one-to-one -one coin voting. And I think like you're saying, like maybe stamp of approval by someone who's been in the community for over six months goes farther than just like, oh, I own 10 tokens, so I get 10 votes. Like, what does the future of governance look like in these communities? I think that social capital is going to be more directly correlated to governance power. You know, if we use the one token, one vote analogy, I think more emphasis on delegation is going to be really valuable here. So if I'm someone who doesn't have a lot of financial capital, but maybe I'm really active on a day to day, I think you're starting to notice that these key leaders are having far more governance power than they could ever personally have on a capital level. And so putting more thought around delegation systems, really leaning into things like quadratic voting, where the quantity of number of people is more important than the quantity of tokens that have voted. You know, these systems where there is a lot more, you know, holistic evaluation of who's actually contributing to these conversations. I think right now we're in a stage where if you go and identify the top 10 token holders of a community, you can pass basically any vote, irregardless of what the social standing of that community is. I think as governance evolves, the sentiment behind something is going to be more powerful than the actual tokens itself. And this is why we see in a lot of governance forums today, if there are votes which have like a 50-50 vote, you know, it's basically a failure in my state. Like if something passes with 55% majority, you might as well just not do it because there's so many people who think that that's not a good idea, that there's not really value in pushing it through. And so you're almost over-optimizing for vast majority consensus on something. And the way to do that, I think, is to have votes rounded up to people who have high conviction in the communities that they're working in, giving incentives to people who are putting their time and energy into governance, then allowing everyone to understand that, you know, there's an opportunity for you to contribute to every governance vote, but it's probably more effective for you to delegate to people who are doing this full time. And then for people who are making proposals to work closely with them, you know, I think we start to see a model that feels very representative of the entire community, but it doesn't rely on each individual member to vote. 
you know, there can be 25 to 30 people voting on a proposal, but those 30 people represent the voices of a thousand plus members. And I think that those systems feel like a, a good stepping stone towards a wider picture, which I don't think any of us know how it's going to work because it's never really happened before. Yeah. In the, um, you know, in the spirit of there's nothing new under the sun uh, ever. Uh, I don't know if you've ever like looked back in, in like American history uh, to when they were founding the constitutions in general, and they went from the Articles of uh, Confederation to what eventually became the Constitution, and they like worked through all these really tough governance challenges. Uh, you can go back and look at some of the stuff that people were debating. It sounds a lot like what people are talking about in DAO conversations today. Uh, like even the establishment of like the Electoral College, which is like super controversial right now, there were actually really good reasons why that got established uh, because like the vast majority of the population was in Virginia at the time and they didn't want just Virginia to be able to decide everything. And now it's almost like swung so far where really small pockets of the population have outside say and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, just if anyone's interested in like priming themselves on how people make decisions, just literally look back. I'm not saying America is the best form of governance at all. There's huge problems with it. But uh, just like how people have thought through these decisions in time, it's a pretty well-documented one, the US. So yeah, I don't know if you've ever looked back at it, Cooper, but cool examples from back then. I love that. And I just love that DAOs are inviting us to think about governance in an entirely new way. You know, I totally agree with you that I don't think we're designing new systems entirely, but we're thinking about the ways that we get there in a very new framework. And we're going to end up resembling a lot of old governance models, but we're going to get there in a very bottom-up, community-oriented way. And I think the reason that DAO governance is going to work over a long time scale is because we're going to build these systems from the ground up together. We're not going to pull from existing models. And I think the more that we can work through that nuance in this new framework, the more valuable that's going to be to its members. And again, going back to my earlier point from why you would do a DAO over a startup is the multiples your company or your project is going to receive on the back of forming new governance structures and doing these experiments with your members of your community, it's going to be tenfold. You know, I don't think that any of us can agree that as many of these crypto products are worth a billion dollars as they should be. But the reason why there are so many of them is because the amount of capital in the space that's willing to bet that we're going to figure out a new revolution here is so high that it's inevitable to me that if you take the time and effort to really just understand how to build a crypto startup from the ground up as a DAO, and you start to look at this over a five-year time horizon, that's what's going to win because you are just built on fundamentally different fabric. And I think that's exponentially more valuable than trying to start from a legacy place and migrate over. You know, you almost need to be free to the idea that no one knows what they're doing. But if you're willing to just stick with it and figure it out, I think that you're going to see that your evaluations reflect that accordingly. Can we, um, I want to change it to, st to uh, start talking about like investment in DAOs, because just on the back of that, uh, Chow, uh, Chow Wang had this comment on Twitter the other day. He's like, look, no DAOs are interesting, but he's like, DAOs are not an investment thesis. He's like, you saying I'm bullish on DAOs, which obviously a lot of people say right now, it's like I'm bullish on DeFi, then I'm bullish on NFTs, then I'm bullish on DAOs. He's like saying I'm bullish on DAOs is like saying I'm bullish on LLCs, right? And and I think what where where he was going with that is that you're going to have a lot of people who listen to this podcast and then go start a DAO, but they have no, and they're like, oh, I have a community. I'll go build a community. And then they're like, Mike said you build the community, then the product, but they don't actually have a product and they never actually solve anything. So like... <laughs> How do you, I know you're involved in a lot of DAOs, Cooper, like how do you think about investing in the DAO ecosystem and investing in DAOs? I would agree with that analogy that investing in DAOs is like investing in LLCs. I think right now that pocket of LLCs is so small that there's highly competent founders building in a new way. Um, I think about DAOs as an investment thesis being, does this founder understand that 100% of their value should go into a community treasury and be governed by a token that accumulates that value over a long term? Like that thesis to me is always what I ground my, my thoughts in. If I'm talking to a founder, I start thinking about how educated is this person in this world? 
Do they have experience in these communities previously? Do they understand the fabric of how these things are being built? And is there a high likelihood that they're able to build a product that reflects that community sentiment in a highly convicted way? And if those two things check the boxes, you know, more times than not, I'm investing at an angel level. It's a very small check. I'm willing to take exposure in whatever those assets are just to see if it actually works out. And I think what you're seeing now is that investing in tokens as the primary vehicle at the earliest stage of inception is a really, really new fabric. You know, for a long time, we had PTSD about token investing. It was ICOs only. Most of those went to zero. This new age of DAO investing is very different from that. You know, people are starting to recognize that tokens are valuable. And I think while right now there is governance theater around saying, oh, this has no economic value. I think for investors in the space, they realize that this is where value is going to accrue over the long term. And investing in DAOs is the most direct way to get exposure to tokens at the earliest stage of a project possible. And that's the reason why I think that it's been so attractive as an investment space, because it's a fundamentally new class of assets. And I think for investors more broadly, they don't want to have equity that converts to a token. They don't want to have something that's just like sitting on the side and then is like converting later. You know, for someone like me is like, I only want tokens. If your project's not going to have a token, I'm not going to invest in your vehicle. And the reality is right now, if I want to invest in tokens, the best way to do that is to invest directly into a DAO. I, I would actually, I'm going to push back on Chow's thing. <laughs> I actually do think DAOs are an investable thesis and I'll tell you why. Because I do think we're going to get to a stage where just anything with the word DAO in it is just going to rip. I think once the excitement hits, anything with DAO in it, it's going to a thousand, baby. I don't think it has to make sense. You know, it's just like the, you know, in the internet, uh, you know, everything got ahead of itself with the dot-com bubble. Anything with dot-com uh, or .net, boom, to a million. And I feel like that's going to happen with DAOs. Uh, kind of already. I think, and, yeah, I mean, Mike and I have talked about this a lot. Is. Like, we're the end of this cycle. We, we, we've said this for a long time now. Like, the end of this cycle is going to end with a crazy bull run with DAOs. Where I actually do agree with Mike, like anything, it's almost like NFTs, like in the last six months, like anything, any of the NFTs rip, but what's happening, Cooper, I heard you on this podcast, I think it was today or yesterday talking about like the cycle of an NFT is getting shorter and shorter. So like mm -hmm. you, it used to be, you would buy a punk and then like, it takes a year for the punk mm -hmm. to come to fruition. Then it was like six months, then it was three months. And now it's like people buy a punk, they, they mint it. And then they change their profile picture and then they sell it. And that's in, that's in 24 hours now. And so I think that's what ends up happening. That, that happened with DeFi summers and liquidity pools too, yep. just as an analogy, yeah. like the amount of time that you could, uh, liquidity farm yeah. that, that, yeah, uh, that's so, wow. That's very interesting. Cooper. It goes um, to say that DAOs are going to go through the same thing. We're going to see a lot of, uh, pop-up DAOs out here pretty soon then, huh? Yeah, most likely. Well, I guess you could make the comparison, like the good DAOs, like the friends with benefits or something, or like the crypto punks. It's exactly right. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing to call out there is that um, no one in Friends with Benefits knew it was going to be anything valuable when it started. It was a fun experiment. There was no intent to raise revenue. There's no intent to raise capital. It was like, hey, let's create a Discord server for people to come and hang out. And oh, by the way, you need to hold tokens. I would have never guessed that a year later, we have hired 30 plus people out of a community treasury. We've shipped about five products. We have global chapters all around the world. I think what that goes to show is that the best projects are ones that are community oriented from day one. There is no focus on capital out of the gate. There is no focus on secondary market value. You know, all of the value is being directed to the one-on-one -on -one relationships of community members. And as you're someone who's thinking about starting a DAO today, please don't worry about raising money. Please don't worry about token price or what is the cost to join. Just create a pocket for people to come and hang out together. Do that in a really curated way. And I think that if you're able to contain that energy and really like bring that through to whatever you're building, you're going to notice that you'll wake up over a three to six month time horizon. And you're going to have a million dollar community. I think that only is able to happen from a very organic standpoint. 
I think one other thing that's important to call out is that there's a bunch of different types of DAOs. Just like, I don't know, yeah. the more I read about DAOs and learn about DAOs, like there's obviously like a Uniswap, like protocol DAOs, um, friends with benefits. I honestly probably just call like a social DAO. Like it's a yeah. bunch of people who like to hang out with each other. There's like investment DAOs, like these venture firms that are getting created, like an investment DAO. There's like the media side. So I guess just media DAOs. I don't know, I'm making up names here, but it seems like there's... <laughs> bunch of different types they're working dude you're outlining <laughs> the categories of the future my man yeah i mean i think that grand styles are fascinating this was the uh the first styles that i joined were grand style that are just giving money to people who need it service styles are really exciting to me so being able to spin up you know freelance work on the back of a dow you know i'll really double down on media DAOs because i think we're going to see a lot more of those coming out soon and then kind of the new sector that i've been doing a lot of work in is like creator DAOs, where it sort of starts around the back of one individual or brand and then sort of evolves outward from there. And so I think now that DAOs are starting to go a little bit more mainstream, a lot of creators who have huge followings are thinking about how do I create a DAO? I think this starts out as them doing an NFT drop and then evolving into a DAO. But a lot of the work that I'm doing now is going from, hey, I have a huge following in Web2, how do I enter crypto? And honestly, I think the number one answer there is like, think about how to start a DAO and then run a playbook over a three to six month process that allows you to really live into that. Yeah, no, he said he's bullish on media DAOs, my dude. <laughs> Should we hang back after this? Uh, do some planning <laughs> long term? The man's bullish. <laughs> you did say this one thing on, on one of the podcasts. You're like, the creator economy is an advanced version of meme investing, right? Where you're mm -hmm. investing off of communities, not on financial statements. And um, yeah, I don't know, like Mario put out his Fox NFTs, I think today or yesterday obviously did well and like i think about how creators monetize today and it's basically three ways courses advertisements and now a really popular thing is like angel investing uh, like i saw Packy started not boring capital invested in like 50 60 70 companies so right now you have advertisements courses and uh, investing like how does that expand with with web3 i think that sponsors become a lot more engaged in the communities that they're president i think it's lost less about having like a podcast read for 30 seconds where you're like oh go check out this product it's more about creating a space for them to be meaningfully engaged in that community i think that there's a lot more exchange of like equity and ownership assets so instead of it being like hey we're getting paid twenty thousand dollars to make a post as a brand it's like hey we're getting 0.005 percent of the cap table on this project to be able to have a long-term commitment there and I think these new ownership models where you're sharing stakes that go above and beyond like a USD based value feel like a really powerful model to me. And then more broadly, I think that it's more important to think about the flow of value rather than like where that value is being created. So I don't really care like how you're making money in a community. But the core thing that I focus on is like when you do make that money from something, any of those buckets, where is that being routed? And I think that what I try and see as a sign for my you know, value in a DAO is if 100% of that value is flowing into a community treasury first and foremost. That's a great intent to me that this is like a good thing to spend time on. And I think that over time, we're going to recognize that you, your community is exponentially more valuable than the assets that you hold in a community treasury. And your incentive should be to put everything into that community treasury because the price reflection of that token or of that asset is always going to be multiples beyond what that community treasury holds. And so if I'm a founder of a DAO, it actually makes a lot more sense for me to put 100% of my NFT PFP drops into a community treasury rather than pocket it because the valuation on that token relative to the assets being held in that treasury are exponentially more valuable. Cooper, what do you mean finesse your way into DAOs? Because like I can technically go buy friends with benefits token. Actually, I did buy FWV token. <laughs> full, yeah, you did. Full disclosure. <laughs> but, um, but like I didn't have to finesse my way into anything. I just went and bought FWB. 
We're seeing now that there's a lot of um, permission DAOs, so things like Fingerprints and Pleaser DAO, where they are doing structured rounds, where there's new contributions opened up to the public, but this is happening in waves. So basically, there will be more members that want to contribute than actual allocations that are available. And so when you're finessing your way in, let's say that there's 50 slots available in round five of this DAO, that DAO is pricing their token at 0.005 ETH per asset. You know, you can always try and OTC that from someone, but it's a lot easier to kind of go in through the formal rounding at the social capital there. In order to get one of those 30 to 50 spots, you need to have a reputation that allows you to get in. And so thinking about building that digital resume so that when those opportunities pop up, you can be sort of a first person that comes to mind in those conversations. I think that's the kind of finesse that I'm talking about. Very cool. Should we spend the rest of the, I know you got to jump in a few minutes. Do you want to touch on uh, just investment sentiment right now? Yeah, lots of lots of deals out there. Um, I really applaud all of the innovation and excitement in the market right now. I would say that um, we're entering a very bubbly territory where a lot of people are getting funded for a lot of crazy ideas. This is definitely scaring me a little bit here. And so I don't really have like a direct call to action. I would just say if you are an investor listening to this right now, be very mindful of the market cycle and where we're at. I think that the best uh, investments are actually going to be in about six to 12 months from now after the bear market sort of comes in a little bit, a little bit more, you know, there's less hype right now. And so if you are making a big investment into a new community or into a new project, be mindful of that life cycle and please have conviction over a multi-year horizon, because I think a lot of these things are getting funded out of the back of greed and out of the back of there just being excess money. But I think in reality, we're going to see a big uh, shift in sentiment in about three months here. And so I'd be very delicate about how you're placing bets in the ecosystem accordingly. When you think about allocating capital right now, Cooper, do you, be, I mean, I think all, the, all three of us on this call agree that we're starting to end the bull market in three, four months. Do you hold on to as much reserves as you can to try to allocate the dry gunpowder when the market goes down? Or do you continue allocating through this time? I think it's a mix of both. I think it's about having um, that gunpowder in hand. So recognizing that we are in a very valuable state of the market. I think everyone's going to want to try and sell the top, but not everyone's going to be able to do that. I think that a lot of the moonshots have already happened. And so instead of trying to capture every play, you know, be be convicted in what you're doing. You know, if there's a project that's worth going big on, definitely do that. But don't feel like you need to ride it out to 100x. You know, please consolidate back into some assets that feel very sound to you. So that when you look at your overall portfolio, it's not 80% altcoins, 20% you know, ETH and USDC, like it can actually be a little bit closer to like 50-50. And I think trying to get to that spot by the end of December is kind of a good target that I have personally for myself and that I would recommend other people start to keep in mind as well. Let, let me ask you this, uh, Cooper, because I think a lot of people probably in there, I think the, the expectation that's baked into the market is probably something like that. Like I'll just speak for, I mean, Jason, you and I talk about this a lot because this is what happened in previous cycles, right? It's like, okay, it's consolidated for a little bit. Probably the most reasonable explanation is some kind of blow off top that happens. And then we enter a bear because that's historically what's happened. But uh, also the market at the same time does the thing that frustrates the most amount of people. So on the one hand, I'm like totally convinced that this is going to happen. On the other hand, I think everyone else thinks that it's going to happen too, which might mean that it actually isn't <laughs> what happens. And maybe it's just like a slow climb. Like that would surprise the most people, I think, just like a slow climb for the next like three years. That would be the most surprising thing from a market standpoint. Yeah. So these are, I'm just thinking out loud here, but like, what do you think the odds are of something like that happening? Because it really mess a lot of people up, <laughs> like me included. Uh, I would totally whiff on that. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts are there. The odds are not zero. I think there is a chance of that happening. I think the reason why I do believe that that blow off top is more likely is as I look at the ability to join the space, as I look at the growth of these crypto projects and the on-ramps that we have today, Right now to get started in crypto, it takes at least two hours and it takes two weeks of research to have any sort of understanding what's happening. 
I think when we see true mainstream adoption, it'll take five minutes or less and you can jump in with $5 or less. And so when I think about what is necessary for us to see that slow cycle start to happen, we are still in a very um, niche market right now. You know, all the coolest parts of crypto are still like very nerdy in some way, shape or form. While they are getting more broad in their appetite, it's all it's all speculative driven. You know, the reason why NFTs are popping off is because people like to make money. They like the idea of buying some cool looking asset and flipping it for 5x. I think that the signal that this market is here to stay is when it's not only about speculation. I think that we're still such a far way away from that, that right now I think we're going to enter into hyper speculation. I'm here for it. I'm going to try and run it up just like everyone else. But you know, hyper speculation is not what's going to lead to this slow, meaningful growth curve. I think it's going to be true communities and true projects that have long-term value to members, irregardless of the financial standing of those assets that allows us to appreciate. And I don't think that we're quite there yet. So, um, you know, we'll see. I'm obviously not a fortune teller. I got plans to sell some assets in December. Hopefully other people do too. If I don't sell the top and it keeps going, power to you. You know, historically, I've always sold my bags like 5X, then end up going to 100X. So maybe I'm not the best person to, uh, to get some advice from here. But all things considered, I'm feeling pretty good about where things are at. And I think we've got an exciting couple of months ahead of us. Only in crypto are you considered the conservative guy, Cooper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> paper hands, baby, paper hands. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to be conscious of your time. I know you have this uh, other event in a few minutes. Anything else that you want to just end with uh, before we uh, wrap this whole thing up? No, I just say more broadly, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you are in the mix. You know, you're exactly where you need to be. I think that it's underrated. Um, if you spend two to three weeks in crypto, spending all of your time and energy learning the space, there are exponential opportunities to be had right here. Please don't be intimidated and feel like you need to have a background as a developer, or as a creative to get started in the space. You know, there are literally dozens of new and exciting communities being spun up every single day. Please try and find some way to go from listening to just doing something. I think the biggest thing that I see people get stuck at is they just listen to a lot of podcasts. They're on Twitter. They're like seeing everything, but they're not actually doing stuff. And I think through those experiments, you're going to really see the picture here. And so um, really, really incredible episode, guys. I love the sentiment here, but I hope that we can leave this call with people feeling inspired to go and make a meaningful attempt at joining the space. And from there, I look forward to uh, those contributing to this massive bull Michael that's going to happen in the next couple of months here. <laughs> I love that, Cooper. Wise words of wisdom, my friend. And I would completely agree with all of that. So thank you so much for coming on. Mike, as always, did a decent job of co-hosting. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> Cooper, enjoy the day, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Take thank care. you, guys. See ya.